Father's Day. Everybody's got a father, right? So happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. That video was special because Amy and Keith, that's their granddaughter in the video. Ella Page, she has her own agent. She's an agent. I don't know if that's a joke or if that's real. Is that true? It's true. She has an agent. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Lakeway. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Today is Father's Day, and in honor of that, I've put together a special sermon that fits with our series, Being Me, and also has a Father's Day theme to it. Being Me is a series about being the person that God has created us to be. That's the absolute best me that we can be. So, five fathers... And what we can learn from those fathers about being me. So you should have sermon notes in your uh, outline, in your bulletin. If anybody didn't get one and want one, just raise your hand. See, these guys are very efficient today. Okay, one over there. Anybody else? I like to see them running. You can get them online in the message part of Facebook. So please join us. So our first father is the father of the human race, and that is Adam. And we find his account right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 through 4. And Adam is unique among humankind because he has no human ancestors, no mother, no father. And as the first human father, he had no example to follow. He, he was the first one. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Yeah, I like to think about things. Can you imagine? You can't. What it must have been like to be Adam. You don't exist, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're here. You don't have a mom, you don't have a dad, you have no context, you have no experience, you have no memories. You open your eyes and you're just here. I mean, how weird would that be? Every single thing. His first breath is a unique experience. I wonder what he thought the first time a, a sound came out of his uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Like, did he know how to speak? Did God give him a, a, an ability already to be able to speak? Or did he have to learn to speak? He would have had to learn from God. What, what language he would have spoken? I mean, it's just kind of strange when you think about it from that perspective. So God provides a paradise for him to live in called the Garden of Eden. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, it's very important to know, I always emphasize this fact. The Lord did not prevent Adam from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He simply told him what the consequences of eating of that tree would be. Then the Lord provides a wife for Adam, Eve, from his own rib. 
And the Lord loved Adam and provided everything that Adam needed. He lived in paradise. And all he had to do was trust the Lord God, his father. But we all know the story. They chose not to. They eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the weird thing. He already had the knowledge of good. There was only one thing he could gain. The knowledge of evil. So they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they gain the knowledge of evil. First thing they do, they run and they hide from God. And when God confronts them with the wrongdoing, Adam blames God for making Eve and blames Eve. He doesn't accept responsibility for the decision he's made. Consequently, they get cast out of paradise and they have to fend for themselves. Now, their perfect existence is broken. All of creation is broken because of their distrust and their disobedience. All of a sudden, we've got disease, we've got weeds, we've got toil, we've got pain. We've got all the mess that we see outside these doors enters into their reality. Eventually, they have children. So it's Father's Day. Adam's the father. Put yourself in the shoes of the children. Can you imagine the conversation when things are really not going that well? Boy, it's really messed up, Dad. Yeah, it wasn't. It was actually good. It was paradise. We had everything. Well, how come it's such a mess, Dad? Your mother did it. (laughs) We lived in paradise. We had everything we need. We had the favor of God. And we chose to break it. So I'm not going to dive into each one of these too too deeply. Lessons that we learn from Adam, and this is in your notes. Our actions have consequences. Sometimes the consequences affect the generations and our siblings and the people around us. And most times the consequences are much greater than anything that we thought that they might be. Our actions impact those we love and care for. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. They sin, they go and hide from God. Like God didn't know. And that last one, people of integrity take responsibility for their own failures and shortcomings. Take responsibility for your failures and your shortcomings. Don't blame. It's so easy to blame. All right, father number two, Noah. We find the account of Noah in Genesis chapter six through nine. He gets four chapters. Everybody traces their ancestry back to Noah, first to Adam and then to Noah. Noah, above all, was a righteous man in a wicked, wicked time. It was weird In Noah's day. I mean, if you read through those accounts, there's lots of stuff. People ask me all kinds of questions about it. Like, it's just weird. But Noah found favor with God. Genesis 6, 9, and 10 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. Now, that blameless doesn't mean that Noah is without sin. 
It's a generality. He, he was a man who followed after the Lord. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So he lived in a, in a world of, of extreme evil and upheaval, lots of weird stuff. And it's so bad that God decides, do over. It says he was just angry with the evil of the human race. And he says, this, now, we're, we're doing a do-over. And he decides to start all over again through one man and his family, Noah. He chose Noah, his faithful follower, to continue the human race. Now, put yourself in the shoes of Noah's children. Think of the conversation that Noah's children have with Noah versus... Adam's children with Adam. One had paradise and broke it all. Noah's children are looking at Noah. They know he's a faithful man. He walks closely with the Lord. And because of his faithfulness and his favor with the Lord, they get to live on. They get to be all of our ancestors. The fathers and the mothers of, of the human race. They get to populate the world. What a father. What an example. And when God goes to him and says, build a big boat, Noah. Now, just a little side note, it had never rained on the earth at this time. The Bible says that all the water came up from springs in the ground. It never rained. Build a big boat, Noah. I'm going to cause it to rain. What's rain, God? Many believe that there was a mantle around the earth at that time of, of water. And when the flood came, that mantle came down. What's rain, God? Don't worry about that. Just build a boat, son. <laughs> I'll give you instructions. I'm going to bring animals to you. You're going to save the world. You're going to save the human race. And you are going to save every species on the planet. It's got to be big. I'll give you the dimensions. What did Noah say? Okay. I'll do it. You imagine the people around Noah. They're living evil lives. And they're looking at Noah building a boat. What are you building a boat for, Noah? It's going to get bad for you guys. Yeah, right, whatever. You're an idiot. And, it, it, and, and what's going to happen? There's going to be water coming from the sky? You really are an idiot. But Noah is faithful. He doesn't question it. What do we learn from Noah? Faithfulness matters. Just as the consequences of our sin affects those around us, our faithfulness affects those around us. I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to sometimes, especially when it comes to, you know, doing funerals. And you sit down with a family and you, you ask about the person that you're doing the funeral for and the contrast I get sometimes. And I just love it when they say, he was a faithful man. He taught us to read our Bible. He taught us to pray. He never, you know, his integrity was always right there. It wasn't perfect. But he made an example for me. Faithfulness matters. Obedience is not a sprint or a marathon or a momentary, sorry, is not a sprint or a momentary thing. It is a marathon. You're not just obedient in this. You're obedient. Next we have Jacob. Whew. This is a difficult one. What to say about Jacob? He gets 
Chapters 25 through 49. 25 chapters of the Bible. That is huge. Let me just read a little bit here. Isaac pleaded with the Lord. On, this is Genesis 25 verses 21 through 26. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayers and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. You know, we read things and sometimes I think, you know, we just kind of, hmm. How does that conversation happen? Something's going on with her that stirs up it so much that she goes to the Lord and she asks him this question. Why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her. The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. Your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. And the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. I mean... That's just cruel, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Harry, come over here. <laughs> and that's his name. <laughs> then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. This is just weird. A hairy baby. And then another one holding onto his heel comes out right afterwards. I mean, woo. so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. <laughs> yeah, but how old was Rebecca? I think that's what counts. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob means heel holder or supplanter. And the idea is it's someone there who holds on to you and wrestles with you because they want what you have and they're not going to let go. Jacob was the pit bull of the Old Testament, of the Bible, really. He was a schemer. He was a manipulator. His mother had already been told that he was destined to rule over his brother and his brother's ancestors. So um, she was the favorite of the two. He was the favorite of the two. So I'm certain that she would have told him this information. But Jacob wanted to do it his way. And his way was the way of a cheat. That was Jacob's legacy. That was his personality. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. If you read it, it's really weird. Brother Esau, older brother, he is the natural in line. He is the oldest. So the dad is going to prefer upon him his blessing. And they'd already been promised that they would be the direct line to Jesus. So that was Esau's blessing. Esau comes in hungry. Jacob's got a stew on the go. Esau's hungry. He says, oh, man, I'm, I'm just famished. And Jacob says, well, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau says, yes. <laughs> Later, Jacob dresses up in a hairy coat when his dad Isaac is old and blind, getting ready to die. He dresses up in a hairy coat and goes to his dad. This is, his mother has told him to do this, Rebecca. And he fools his dad into believing that he's Esau. 
And his dad lays his hands upon him. And, and in those days, the, the word of the father was written in stone. And he gives Jacob Esau's blessing because he thinks it's Esau. And then when it's all discovered, it's too late. Because once the blessing is given, the blessing is given. And Jacob steals Esau's birthright. His life was a struggle. He struggled with people. He struggled with his family. He struggled with circumstances. He even struggled with God. He consistently tried to work things his way rather than trust God or do it God's way, the right way. And yet, Jacob became part of this lineage from Abraham down to Jesus. How many chapters did I say he's got? 25 chapters of the Bible to this snake. I mean to Jacob. God changes his name to Israel. Because he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel means God prevails. So what do we learn from, from Jacob? Well, first of all, we learn that favoritism causes conflict. He was favored. He favored his son Joseph. And it just causes conflict. The second thing we learn is fighting against God is a losing battle. Don't bother. You're not going to win. The third thing, sometimes we worry about, I, I talk to people who say, you know, I'm not sure of what God's will is for my life. And I'm worried that I'm going to go the wrong way and I'm not going to do the right thing. God works with our mistakes and God works with our bad decisions. And the last thing I got four for him, God's will is sovereign. His plans cannot be undone. You are free. That's what God said to Adam. You are free, but you are only free within the confines of the will of God. So our fourth father is Joseph. Not that one. The other one. Which one do we all think of? Oh, you think of Mary. Coats. I apologize, Joseph. Mary, or is it up there? The other one. Okay, good. Joseph and Mary. Probably the most underrated father in all of the Bible. Part of the inspiration for this came out of my small group that I have on Tuesdays, and we were looking at something, and, and one of my sisters over in England who's in the small group, it's a virtual small group, I can't remember how it came up, but started talking about Joseph and, and how it must have been for him as a dad. And I went away, and I was thinking about that, and I thought... Yeah, we really don't know very much about him. He is the stepfather, the earthly father of Jesus. Matthew 1, 18 to 25 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. I think of these four dads. This guy's the king of the four dads. Noah, you know, Noah seemed like a pretty good dad, but we didn't look into the whole story. And, and there's a part of Noah's story after the, the rains are all gone and the ark settles down. He plants a vineyard, gets drunk, falls asleep naked. His son sees him and Noah curses his grandson. Not a good thing. But you don't find anything in the account of Joseph, even though it's not that big. You don't find anything in the account of Joseph that is negative. It's all good. There's nowhere in scripture where we find Joseph doing anything unbecoming. He is kind and merciful to Mary. When he thought Mary had cheated on him, look at how he responded. He doesn't cause a scene. He doesn't seek revenge. He could have taken her to the judge. He quite legally could have taken her to the judge and she possibly could have been sentenced to stoning. He didn't choose to humiliate her or disgrace her. He just calls it off quietly. And if, if you read the scriptures, by the way, it says he was still considering it when the angel appeared to him. Maybe he hadn't made up his mind. Now think about this. Mary already knew. I, I like to think about these things. Mary already knew. So at some point, Mary goes to Joseph and says, I'm going to have a baby. And Joseph says, oh, yeah. But it's not yours. It's from God. Now, what do you think? Uh-oh. <laughs> have you been in the communion wine? <laughs> like, what's wrong with Mary? Mary's nuts. Mary thinks that angels are talking to her. Mary thinks that she is going to be the mother of God. I mean... No. So I'm sure they've already had this conversation. So there, there's a couple things going on. I mean, if, honestly, if you were Joseph, what are you thinking? She's cheated on me. And now she's trying to come up with this weird story about the Holy Spirit. And this girl's a cheat and a nut. And she thinks I'm a dope <laughs> that I would accept this. He doesn't choose to humiliate her or disgrace her. He just calls it off quietly. And he is obedient, obedient, obedient. He marries Mary because the angel told him to. He refrains from having sex with her because the angel told him to. The angel comes to him after Jesus is born and says, move to Egypt. You're in danger here. There's no question. In the scripture it says immediately Joseph took the family and moved to Egypt. The angel comes to him again and says go back to Israel. Immediately Joseph heads back to Israel. The angel comes to him again and says not Judah. It's still dangerous there. Go up to Galilee. He never questions it. Okay, we're going to Galilee. We don't know very much about Jesus' childhood. Very, very little. But I think Joseph would have been a good father. You, you, you think about this. 
Joseph was responsible for teaching Jesus about God. They would have been sat down at the table and he's teaching Jesus about God. And if you believe the saying, like father, like son, he's quite the father. They probably taught him his trade. And like any son, right, you watch your father. We watch our fathers. You know, behaviors are caught, not taught, right? We're watching, you know, what's he like? You watch your dad. How honest is he? How does he conduct his business? Is he a man of integrity? What's he like when no one else is watching? How does he treat mom? How does he treat me and, and the rest of the family? I guess he was a good dad. What do we learn from Joseph? God honors men of integrity and rewards them with his trust. Think about this. God the Father entrusted Joseph with his only son. That says something. Mercy always wins. Go with mercy. And obedience, it might result in humiliation. I mean, I'm sure that people around Joseph didn't buy the Holy Spirit story either. Really, Joe? I remember I worked with a Jewish fellow some years ago here in Dallas. And um, I'd often talk to him about Jesus. And he'd often talk to me about the Torah. And he gave me a, a Torah. We had some interesting conversations. And I remember a couple things. One day he came to me and he said, you know, that Paul, he was nuts. <laughs> He's just crazy. All that stuff he wrote was crazy. And, and Mary, seriously, your girl got pregnant? And you blame God? I mean, that still what they think. Obedience may result in humiliation and disgrace before men, but close friendship with God. All right, our last father. We've got 10 minutes. I didn't go too deep into these others because this is the one. He is our father, right? No matter what your earthly father was, is, isn't. We have a father in heaven, Yahweh, our father. And I picked a little passage of scripture out of Psalm 103. Fits so well with a lot of the music that you you played today. Psalm 103 verses 8 through 13. Go away after the service and read the whole of Psalm 103. It's wonderful. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, And filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. Nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him. Is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us. As the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Verses 9 through 13, unpack verse 8. So this is a psalm of David. And and verse 8, David is actually quoting from an original passage of scripture that we find in Exodus. You find that verse 8 throughout the Bible in various 
forms. So back in Exodus, chapter 34, Moses has been walking with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the hill. The Israelites are all being stupid. They're sinning. Moses gets mad. He smashes the Ten Commandments. Kind of like, what's the point? God calls him back up again. And Moses has a close personal relationship with God the Father. And at one point, Moses says to God the Father, he says, can I see you? And God says, "Mm." he said, I I can kind of let you see me, but nobody can look upon my face. If you you look at my face, you will die. It's, It's too much for you. He says, but what I'll do, I'm going to put you in a piece of rock. I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to let my glory pass by. And as the glory of the Lord passes by, this is what the Lord says. This is in Exodus 34, 6. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. So he identifies himself. This is me, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love And faithfulness. So these words in this Psalms. These are God's words. To us. His personal words. His personal promise to us. So what does it mean to be compassionate? You know when you think about the word passion. Often we think about love. We think about amour. Wow. You can get passionate about a sports team. You can be passionate about all kinds of things. But compassionate. Takes on a whole new meaning. Typically when the word has come as a prefix, it means together with or in harmony with, like compose. Our father has compassion towards us. The dictionary, I didn't put this up there, did I? No. The dictionary definition of compassion, sympathetic consciousness of others. Distress together with a desire, sorry, sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. In other words, I get who you are. I get why you are. I get why it's such a mess. And I want to help you with that. I care about you. Merciful. Mercy full. To be full of Mercy. That means that you act in a benevolent manner towards someone who does not deserve it. The dictionary definition of mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. In other words, they deserve punishment. They ought to be punishment, punished, but I'm going to show them mercy instead. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. You deserve this, but you get this instead. I'm going to give you another chance. Yeah, but you've already given 50 chances, God. That's why I put in there, forgiven seven times seven. Just keep forgiving. I'm not going to hold it against you. So he is compassionate. He is merciful, slow to get angry. You ever been around someone who's quick-tempered? Everybody's nodding. <laughs> It's scary. You never know what to say. You never know when the time bomb's going to go off. Could be any little thing, right? They take offense at something or, you know, you drop something by accident. Boom! 
Everybody's walking on eggshells. They're just afraid. And it gets infectious. You pass it on. I'll tell you how you can tell <laughs> Drive during rush hour. I, you know, I, I forget because my commute from here to home is really nothing. And every so often I'll have to drive somewhere during going home time or, or going to work time. And I've said this so many times. All of these people have better jobs than I do because they'll risk their lives to get there. And they've got a better home than I do because they'll risk their lives to get home again. But everybody's just... You could just see it on their faces. Everybody's amped up. And it's like, oh my goodness. Somebody breaks to turn left without signaling. Oh my gosh. We are easily angered. Easily angered. And it's infectious. But God is slow to anger. It means he lets it slide. He is patient with us. That's why we're still here. Because he is patient with us. He sees what's going on. And he says, it's in my time. I'm going to get it put right. This is not going to last forever. But this is not yet the time. I'm giving you a chance. And here's one of the reasons I believe he's patient with us. You know, I hear people praying, oh, Lord, come soon. Lord, come soon. I don't want the Lord to come soon because I know too many people that don't know the Lord. So I want him to tarry a little bit. Give us a chance, God. Give us a chance to get a few more. Filled with unfailing love. His love is solid. It is eternal. It is not conditional. It isn't responsive to how we are. It is unfailing. Unfailing love. Rock solid. You can depend on this love. No matter what load, no matter what weight is put on this love, it is solid. It is unfailing. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly Accuse us. Not constantly accuse us. You ever get into an argument with someone and they become hysterical? It's worse if they become historical. And they start bringing up the stuff from the past. He doesn't constantly accuse us. Once it's done, it's done. It's over. Nor does he remain angry forever. He lets it go. God does get angry. He gets angry at the same things that make us angry. You know, when you pick up the newspaper and you read about some poor child who's been abused or hurt, it makes you angry. It makes God angry. But he's not angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. All our sins. Now to think about that one, does he punish us for some? I think he does. A good father does. He seeks to correct our behavior. So it doesn't just brush it under the carpet. I really do believe that God blesses our good behavior and he punishes our bad behavior. That's why we live in this mess of a world. We're living in the consequences of the mess that we made. It's kind of like you made your bed and I lie in it. But one day I'm going to rescue you from this. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He forgives for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. How far is the heavens above the earth? It's eternal. You don't get to the edge, do you? 
The greater telescopes they build out in space, the further they can see, all they see is more. It caused them a real problem with the Big Bang Theory for a while because they had calculated the amount of time it would take for matter to originate in this one place and burst out and they get more and more powerful telescopes and they see galaxies so far out moving at such speeds, it, the math doesn't work. That's how far. And I love this one. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Got my globe. If you're standing on the North Pole, what's the only direction you can go? South. You can't go any other direction. If you're immediately on the North Pole, you can only go south. And if you head south, you get south, south, south. You're still heading south. You get to the South Pole. What's the only direction you can go? North. But if you're here, if you're in England, I've been there, and you head west, when do you stop heading west? What was that? When you get back to England. You can't. You can keep going. You can still go west. You never get to the end of your journey. You just keep Going west. He has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. It's kind of weird. If you leave England and you go west, you get to the east coast of the states. And then go west. Until you get to the west coast. And then go west. Until you get to the east coast of Asia. And then go west. All right. Let me bring this to a close. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your dad or didn't have with your dad. I talked to lots of people that didn't have a good relationship with their dad. We're not that good at it sometimes. I don't very often talk to people that had a bad relationship with their mom. Some, but dad seemed to bear the brunt of this one. But you've got a father in heaven who loves you, who you can depend upon. You know, today is the anniversary of my dad's death. He was a good dad, kind, compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry. I look forward to the day I see him again. He's up in heaven with God, our father, and my son. So it's kind of neat. They're up there together. They're together with Jesus. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He understands our frailty. He understands our weakness. And he loves us. Lessons we learn from our Father. We are created in the Father's image, right? Created in the likeness of our Father. So we are to display the very characteristics that we see from our Father to those around us. Compassion, mercy, mercy, patience, and love. And I saw a wonderful article um, from a pastor in Illinois called Jim Nicodema. Nicodem. And I love the way he summarized it. God has a long fuse, a short memory, thick skin, and a big heart. 
And if we are to be the me that God causes us and wants us to be, we too should have a long fuse, a short memory, thick skin, and a big heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are our Father in heaven. You are our merciful, compassionate, long-suffering, patient, gracious, forgiving Father in heaven. And you are a good, good Father. Father, you do not allow us to just run amok. You call us to task. And you give us consequences, which we need. But Father, you don't treat us in such a manner that destroys us. You are patient with us. You are loving with us. Slow to anger. Merciful. And we thank you for that. And Father, I just want to lift up each and every one here. We've all got a dad. We've all got a father. And I know for some, Father's Day is difficult because when they think back on their relationship with their dad, it wasn't that good. And some never had a relationship with their dad. Father, I pray you would just pour out your mercy into their hearts and let them know that you love them and that you are with them. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we would be gracious towards our fathers, even if they were difficult with us. And Father, if, if, if our dads are still alive, give us that impetus to call them today. Just say, I love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being our Father. Amen. Mr. Kinsley. You know, happy Father's Day, everyone. Like Pastor Mike said, we all have a father. You know, can you think of the... Pastor Mike, as the guys come forward that are going to take up the offering, uh, I remember a sermon that Pastor Mike preached talking about people that need more grace. Uh, Think about this. God's grace... He is like that. He's got enough for everybody. And he shows us that grace in his son that came and died for us. And when you think about when you pray and ask the Lord to forgive you something, he's got a short memory. You could ask him the next day, Lord, you know, when I, he goes like, what? You know, he keeps it as far as the east from the west. And you know what? You ask God, how much do you love me? That much. Now they're going to pass the hats. Please, please uh, put your cards in there and everything that you got. And I'm going to give some more announcements. But uh, also put uh, what you feel that the Lord has led you to do today. And give it with a joyful heart so that it will be an acceptable gift to the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we thank you for it. Being our Father, thank you for Father's Day, the fathers that you've blessed us with. 
Lord, as we take up this offering, we pray that it would be multiplied, used to your glory in the way that you would have us to use it. We thank you and we give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's many announcements. There's some big handouts inside the bulletin, so be sure and look next week. This is next Sunday, ladies. We're going to honor the people that had the ladies that have a, a birthday during this quarter, and we want y'all to meet right across the hallway, and y'all can have a celebration there. We want to celebrate everyone's birthday. That'll be fun. There's a special card in there that has a what do you call that? QR code. Not a very good computer guy. QR code, everybody. I learned something new. Scan that, and it tells all about registering with Vacation Bible School. If you want to help, I'm sure there's a link within that QR code that will tell you how you can help. We still need supplies. I bet there's something in there that will say, oh, we, we need some, you know, map colors or construction paper or whatever they're going to use this year. But you know what is even better than that is if you want to come and just help. And where is where is it name at? I can't think of her name. Sorry. Libby and Amy. This is what we need. Okay, here we go. We need people to help with dinners. Now you can talk to Amy and Libby, and tell them what you can do. But they need uh, dinners. Uh, Becky, Donna Burks, Pat Stevens, and Bob Elder. Okay, okay. We need dinners. Somebody to. I'm. I know. One time we did the deal. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm going on. We did the deal where uh, different Sunday school classes or different uh, ministries during the week would fix a dinner one night. Well, we need to have all in place so that we can do that. That's one of the announcements. Another one is the ladies, you need to register for the the retreat. The retreat is on 929 through 101. So mark your calendars with that, but they'll have information out here and you can find out what it's all about, what it costs, and when you need to be registered by. So please do that now. If everyone will stand, I want to thank you all all for being here again today. You'll bless us with your presence. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. That's right. So let me bless you all as we, as we leave this place. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face towards you and give you peace. Lord, as we go this week, let us be that shining light for someone that is totally in darkness so that we can have at the end of time, we can have more people on your right side than are on your left. We thank you and we just give your son the praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day.